Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, it's Brian Lehrer, a daily politics podcast. It's Tuesday, September 13th. Leading causes of death in the United States 2021, according to the Centers for Disease Control, CDC. The big three were heart disease, around 700,000 deaths, then cancer, around 600,000 deaths, then COVID, around 400,000 deaths, then going down the list from there, and it really drops off after that, accidents were the fourth leading cause of death, around 200,000 of them, then stroke, 160,000, then down further, chronic lung disease, Alzheimer's, and diabetes as the leading causes of death in America last year. Now, you may have already figured out that I'm giving you those stats in relation to the so-called cancer moonshot that President Biden announced yesterday on the 60th anniversary of President John F. Kennedy announcing the actual moonshot program in 1962 that did land an American on the moon, as you certainly know, except those of you who believe it was a hoax, by the end of that decade. In Biden's moonshot speech, he also praised a president of the opposite party. Here is the president yesterday. We've made enormous progress in the past 50 years since President Nixon signed the National Cancer Act to declare a war on cancer. We learned cancer is not a single disease, but there are over 200 different types of cancers caused by different genetic mutations in our cells. We discovered new medicines, therapies, early detection and prevention measures to extend and to save lives. President Biden yesterday tracing the war on cancer all the way back to President Richard Nixon, who declared that war. Of course, Nixon did a lot of declaring war, war on cancer, war on drugs, war on Cambodia, the war to obstruct the Watergate investigation. Oops, you have to resign now. But he did launch the war on cancer that has led to the progress that Biden cited there. And yet, Cancer is still the second leading cause of death in the United States last year as year after year, right behind heart disease. And by the way, if there's a lot less cancer than 50 years ago, there is still many times more cancer than 100 years ago. Cancer is largely a disease of modern Western lifestyles. An article on PubMed in 2018 compared what they cited as a 5% cancer rate in 1900 to the 33% of women and 50% of men who get some kind of cancer during their lifetimes in the United States today. And I'm sure every one of you listening right now, if you haven't had cancer yourself, you know somebody close to you who has. So what can Joe Biden's cancer moonshot accomplish? And what would it actually take? With us now are two guests Sarah Overmall is a Washington correspondent at the medical news organization Stat News, reporting on the Biden administration's health goals, federal health policy, and politics. She previously covered health policy and the drug industry for Politico. And Dr. Barrett Rollins, cancer researcher with the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute for more than 30 years. Dr. Rollins has studied cancer at the molecular level, including the role of what they call white blood cell trafficking, which sounds like someone is smuggling in white blood cells from somewhere. We'll find out what it really means. 
and the very interesting area of the interactions between inflammation and cancer. We'll talk about that with him. He is also author of the book, In Sickness, a memoir about his own wife's fatal breast cancer, despite being a cancer researcher herself. So Barrett Rollins, Sarah Overmall, welcome to WNYC. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you very much. Sarah, as the president acknowledged, there's been a war in cancer in this country for 50 years. What did he announce yesterday that's actually anything new? Well, yesterday he was kind of re-energizing what he actually announced in March as a sort of cancer moonshot 2.0. So if you remember uh, when he was vice president for Barack Obama, towards the end of his presidency, they launched the first moonshot. And that was more focused on accelerating research, finding answers. This new moonshot, Biden says, is focused on a more holistic view of how to prevent cancers, how to improve cancer care, and also how to minimize disparities. Um, so it's things like upping cancer screenings, which they're very concerned. A lot of people have been getting those for highly preventable cancers during the pandemic. I heard estimates earlier this year that there's at least 9 million people who are behind on screenings for preventable cancers, uh, or sorry, uh, easily treatable cancers, I should say, or can be prevented with early screening. Right. Um, and there's also, you know, um, talking about preventing cancers entirely through lifestyle changes as well. So it's kind of more than the early research lab portion that Moonshot 1.0 was. This is kind of looking at our holistic view of how people live their lives and what they can do to prevent cancer. And Dr. Rollins, the president noted in his speech that the first 25 years of the 50-year war on cancer did not bend the curve very much on the cancer death rate in this country, but in the last 25 years, it's come down 25%, which is really a lot. Can you say what the main things are that started working and why? Yeah, I think the main things uh, that started working are some of the things that Sarah pointed out. Um, this particular moonshot, I have to tell you, um, as a scientist and a sort of uh, ingrained skeptic, uh, moonshots always sort of uh, raise my hackles. Um, I happen to be on vacation now, and my sister-in-law is here, and when I said that we were going to talk about the moonshot, she exploded and said, all moonshots are BS, um, mm. but more col more colorfully. The, the, but what's different about this one, and I think I even persuaded her, maybe I can persuade your listeners, is that uh, exactly what Sarah said. This is about the things, this is about capitalizing on the things that we already know have impacted cancer mortality. The reason that overall cancer mortality has decreased somewhere between 25 and 32% since about 1991, according to the American Cancer Society, really has to do with screening and smoking cessation. These are the things at a population level that really decrease mortality. The problem is, that even though um, colonoscopies have decreased mortality, have decreased deaths from colorectal cancer by over 40%, more than half of the eligible population are not getting screened. Imagine what the impact would be if you could actually push out screening to everybody who needs it and deserves it. And that's why I think that this particular moonshot has a goal, This, you know, Biden's overall goal is a 50% reduction in mortality by about 2047, I think, it's 25 years. That is doable if you think about democratizing screening and prevention. And I think that's where the money is. Sarah, do you want to pick up on that? Dr. Rollins just said democratizing 
screening and prevention and cited a large amount of uh, large percentage of the population that should be getting colonoscopies. I think the usual rule of thumb is when you hit 50 years old, you should get your first one. That's if you have no other uh, extra risk factors that have been identified. And then generally every five years, um, unless, unless they find something along the way. But then comes access. NPR had a story on Morning Edition today about the higher cervical cancer disease rates and death rates among black women and rural women because they don't get as much information about HPV vaccines for prevention of that cancer and don't have as much regular care for early detection screenings you know, primary care physicians who are going to remind them and things like that. Is anything like that part of Biden's initiative? Absolutely. And that's why this is also very different from the first version of Moonshot, which was really focused on research and therefore focused a lot of the energy in the National Cancer Institute and research universities like where Dr. Rollins works, because that's, you know, what those goals were at that time. But when you take it out to these bigger issues of disparities of who is actually getting access to the tre this treatment or screening or knows that they need it. Um, that really takes in all these different parts of government, federal to state to local, which is why this is a pretty big, I mean, the word moonshot is fitting here. Um, and so it's worth noting too, when I said 9 million people earlier, that's 9 million people who already have care and are delayed on screening. So that doesn't even account for people who don't have regular care, don't have a regular provider, and don't know about things like, for instance, the HPV vaccine now being uh, available to adult women. Um, so when they talk about how they're going to do things like this, a lot of it does come down to local efforts and disparities research and how to best communicate those things, which is very far outside of what the original Moonshot was about. But one thing that I think is going to be interesting is that the original moon, Moonshot had funding. It had $1.8 billion for seven years. We're in the sixth year of that now. And as of right now, the new Moonshot does not technically have funding. So there's questions of how they are going to achieve this. And I think that you saw some of that in Biden's speech yesterday when he was talking about achievements so far. And they weren't quite within the realm of moonshot. It was things like mentioning that the Inflation Reduction Act included drug pricing reforms, mm. things like mentioning the burn pit bill that passed recently. Varied, varied things across departments, basically. Um, Dr. Rollins, can you give us the big century-long or even 200-year-long take on cancer? To what degree is cancer a disease of modern life and, for that matter, a disease of affluence? I've already had... Um, somebody who works in healthcare right in after my intro that, you know, maybe that 5% of Americans got cancer in 1900, whereas 33 to 50% get cancer today, that the 5% stat that I cited from that PubMed article may really be low because maybe a lot of people got cancer from various exposures in the 1800s, but those deaths were recorded at something, as something else. And also, cancer deaths go up as we age, and people are living a lot longer today. So, so with all of that in mind, can you give us the century-long or 200-year-long view on whether cancer is an artifact of modern life and of affluence? 
Yeah, and I can do a 200-year survey in about 30 seconds, right? So <laughs> cut me, cut me off. You should be a guest on every show. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, cut me off when I go too long. Let me start by saying that your point about cancer being a disease of aging is, is really essential for our understanding, much more so than, to me, much more so than even a disease of developed countries. That And, and the unfortunate thing is if we don't start bending the curve, cancer is going to surpass uh, cardiovascular disease as the number one killer as the population ages. But I think that that 5% number you, you um, cited at the beginning is a, a vast underestimate because of sociologic reasons when people didn't talk about cancer. I mean, what has changed in the past 100 years is a fundamental shift in our understanding of what the disease is. If you think about infectious disease, think about tuberculosis. In the 1800s, tuberculosis, no one knew what it came from people wasted away. It was called consumption. You know, literature of the, that century is just filled with, you know, discussions of TB as a visitation on people who have done something bad in their lives. And it wasn't until the discovery of the tubercle bacillus that there was a bacteria that caused it. Once, once you understood that there was, you know, how this happened, you could come up with ways to intervene, namely antibiotics. And you've, and, and, you know, the sort of mystique around TB has just dissipated. The same thing has happened in the past hundred years with cancer. We now know that it's a disease of genes. Even President Biden referred to the genetic basis for cancer. We know why it happens at a molecular level. We have theories as well as reduction to practice about how to intervene based on that understanding. And what I'm seeing, you know, I've been in this business for about 42, 43 years. What I'm seeing is a fundamental change in the sociology. People aren't afraid to talk about it anymore. People aren't afraid to get the diagnosis. Well, yes, they are afraid to get the diagnosis, but not with the same level of fear that I saw 40 years ago. And that's because it's under because we understand what's happening. And so in addition to the population level stuff that I think is going to have the real impact on mortality, what we're going to learn to do over the next couple of years is take our molecular understanding of cancer and develop even better screening techniques, more directed screening techniques, screening techniques that have fewer false positives. And that's going to help us move um, this, this mortality curve to a lower place. Are Republicans against the funding for the moonshot? Not for the moonshot. And so I would go back to sort of you mentioned at the top of this conversation, President Biden mentioning President Nixon and going across the aisle and acknowledging that. I think that that was very intentional throughout his speech yesterday. He had, you know, plucked the strings of, you know, patriotism, bipartisanship. This affects everybody, regardless of what party you're in, regardless of where you live. And it was very similar to the way that he talked in 2016 when trying to rally support for the original moonshot, which ended up not only getting an overwhelming amount of support, but then majority leader Mitch McConnell named the original moonshot after Bo Biden, Biden's son, who he lost to cancer. So nobody's really against, you know, of course, cancer research or cancer care and improved care and screenings. It comes down to funding and who's willing to give more funding and where it would go. And since you mentioned Biden using um, the moonshot to talk about unity or uh, using unity to talk about the moonshot, here's, here's a clip of the president yesterday, uh, an example of how he did that. I give you my word as a Biden, this cancer moonshot is one of the reasons why I ran for president. It's part of my unity agenda that I laid out in my State of the Union address to rally the American people to work together. Because we know this, cancer does not discriminate 
red and blue. It doesn't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat. Maybe not, but Dr. Rollins, there does seem to be a geographic cancer belt in this country, and it's almost entirely in red states. A CDC map that I was looking at this morning shows the highest rates um, in the Midwest and South, all in states connected to each other, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, but not Texas, for some reason, plus Ohio and Indiana are in the highest cancer group, Kentucky, Tennessee, West Virginia, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. And this is largely a map of Republican America, um, but then Maine is also in that highest group, which wouldn't fit in politically. Any thoughts on cancer by state in the U.S.? Yeah. Um, so one hypothesis could be that there's a swath of horrible carcinogens that just uh, blankets the country in those those states. And that, you know, that's a hypothesis that would need to be tested. But I think a more straightforward one is that we have learned in the past two years that public health interventions actually save lives and uh, public health interventions need to be supported at the state level. And in states in which you do see uh, vigorous support of public health interventions, you see better outcomes. Um, then this one comes via Twitter. Listener writes, discoveries about the role of genetics in cancer. Mary Claire King and her work on familial breast cancer, BRCA1 and BRCA2. Thanks to Dr. King, physicians and improved treatments, I'm still alive. After breast cancer and ovarian cancer, writes this listener, my mother didn't have those opportunities. Uh, and yet someone else writes, um, uh, is it true that younger women are getting breast cancer than in the past? And if so, why? So Dr. Rollins on either of those things? Um, I know much more about the former than the latter. And I think the example of Mary Claire King and the, the dozens of scientists who contributed to the discoveries of BRCA1 and BRCA2, that's an example of taking a fundamental understanding about how breast cancer develops and turning it into, into uh, therapies that have saved individual lives. And I think we'll see more and more of that going forward. We thank Dr. Barrett Rollins, cancer researcher with the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute for more than 30 years. Dr. Rollins has studied cancer at the molecular level, including some of the things that we talked about today. Um, he is also the author of the book, In Sickness, a memoir about his own wife's fatal breast cancer, despite being a cancer researcher herself, uh, which is, oh, oh, that's the forthcoming book. So you want to tell us when that's going to be out, Dr. Rollins? And I'm also curious, how hard was that for you as a cancer researcher yourself uh, to write this personal tale? And I wonder if it changed your relationship with your work in any way uh, to be so personally connected to it. It did. Um, this was a very difficult story. My wife was a brilliant, brilliant cancer researcher. She invented the field of outcomes research in cancer. But um, this story has to do with the fact that a high IQ does not prevent you from behaving irrationally. She developed breast cancer. She hid it from me and the rest of the world for about six years. Then she revealed it to me and I kind of conspired with her to keep hiding it. It's just an amazing thing to think that someone that smart and me too, not as smart as she was, but you know, we behave very irrationally. And it, 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 I, I would hope that would help people see um, that their uh, that their responses to this disease encompass the entire spectrum of responses. And you know, so 
I hope people can read it. It's going to come out on, on November 15th. Well, thank you for being for taking the risks, the emotional risks involved in being self-revelatory in that way. And, of course, thank you for your research. And we also thank Sarah Overmall, Washington correspondent at the medical news organization Stat News, who reports on the Biden administration's health goals, federal health policy and politics, and previously covered health policy and the drug industry for Politico. Thank you both so much. Fascinating discussion. Thank you. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.